What's going on, people? It's your boy, Kalechi, back with another episode of the Rambling Mind Podcast. How are each and every single one of y'all doing today? I hope y'all are staying safe. I hope y'all are taking care of yourselves. I hope y'all are doing all the things you know you ought to do during these times. And I'm being serious about that, guys, because, you know, we're seeing this whole Delta variant thing going on. So please, please take care of yourselves. Please do all the things you know you should be doing, especially for those of y'all who refuse to get vaccinated. Go get that vaccine because I ain't about to be locked up in my house anymore. I'm trying to be out and about in these streets. I'm not about to be locked up. But anyway, anyway, today we have a, I say, I know I say this a lot on the podcast, but I really, 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 really mean it today. I say it multiple times so that you actually believe me. Please believe me. I actually really mean it today. I'm saying I have a very special, special guest on the podcast today. And maybe I say that a lot because I meet a lot of amazing people. But the person I have on here today is really, really amazing because he does two things that I really love. One, he makes me laugh a lot when I watch any of his content. And two, I learn a lot, which is two of the things that I love to do. I like to laugh and learn because that way I learn a lot more because if I'm enjoying myself, I'm going to learn more. At least that's me personally. Again, it's around my partners. I'm already rambling because I'm that excited about this episode. I'm that excited about who I have on the podcast. His name is Sam, and he has a YouTube page that I've been learning so much from. And I don't know how I found his YouTube page. I was just on YouTube one day, and then it was on there. I was like, who's this guy? And I clicked one video, and I was like, whoa, this guy is hilarious. He has awesome content. I'm going to have all his links down in the description and in the show notes, and you should go check him out but anyway anyway without further ado instead of me just being on here talking to myself and not allowing him to speak let's welcome sam to the show and if you're listening to this please round of applause because it is a special guest to have on this episode welcome to the rambling mind sam thank you so much for joining us today thank you so much for having me i need to say two things straight off the bat one your intros are the most epic intros I think I've seen on YouTube. So I need to take a, a page out of your book because the energy, the good vibes, everything. Somebody needs to give you your own radio show, seriously, <laughs> because you are made for it. So, yeah, amazing intros. Second thing is very, very kind words. Thank you. I really appreciate it. You've given me some very big boots to fill for the rest of this podcast. So hopefully I can do that. But I appreciate all the love. Yeah, for sure. I'm, you're definitely going to fill it because, I mean, if you're... If anything, if your YouTube channel is anything is an insignificant direction of how this podcast is going to go, I'm pretty sure everybody is about to love this whole thing. But before we get started, I'd like to ask this question to everybody who comes on the show and just to kind of like get an inside peek to who Sam is, to get an inside peek to an idea of who are you, Sam? So tell us a little bit about yourself, apart from all the YouTube, Instagram, social media stuff. Who are you? Tell us a little bit about your background and those kind of things. Yeah, 100%. So I'm Sam Amara. I'm 31 years old. I live in Stockholm, Sweden at the moment. I'm between there and London. Um, I work in banking and finance, and I've done that for the last 11 years now, um, where I started out kind of on the trading floor when I was 19. And I've been lucky enough where that career over the last few years has let me live all over the world. So I've lived in London, San Francisco, Hong Kong, uh and yeah now sweden uh stockholm so i've been all over the place i've done a few different jobs within finance uh learned a lot along the way made a lot of mistakes along the way and yeah recently started my own youtube channel just like everybody else during lockdown <laughs> uh to just try and express myself and hopefully teach some people some tips and tricks that uh i learned along the way and learned from some of my mistakes and then obviously i'm all, i've also been investing my own money along that way 
real estate, stocks, all that kind of good stuff. So yeah, that's basically me and my investing journey in a nutshell. Yeah. I mean, first of all, guys, I hope you heard that. We've gone international, people. We're no longer just <laughs> local. It's not just glitchy from the A. We've gone international on this thing. Sam is right now in Sweden, and he's been all over. We're going to get into all of his world travels because I'm pretty sure there's some details in there that I know I want to learn from and peek from because I want to be a world traveler too. I want to see this beautiful earth that we have around us. But anyway, one of the questions that I want to start off with is just what got you into the whole world of finance? What got you into like, oh, that's the industry that I want to get into or even just thinking about investing and all of these kind of things? Yeah, absolutely. Um it's not that uh, deep of a, of a thought that I had, to be honest. So you might be a bit disappointed here. But when I was probably about 13 years old, so it was quite an early age, I saw a movie called Boiler Room. I don't know if you've seen it. But it's Ben Affleck, Vin Diesel. Uh, it's a bunch of stockbrokers. And it's a really cheesy, horrible film. If you watch it, you'll probably be disgusted that that had such a big influence on my career choice. But as an impressionable 13-year-old, I thought, wow, these guys are making loads of money. They're wearing nice suits, they're driving flashy cars, and they're all really young. So how do I get a piece of that? <laughs> uh, and I think after that, I made kind of all the little decisions in terms of what to study, um, moving to London uh, at the time, uh, and things like that, that had uh, an impact on where I ended up. And then lo and behold, my first job in the industry was as a stockbroker. So it was kind of written, I guess, for it to be that way. Um, and I think, yeah, I was also very ambitious, I think, from an early age. So I wanted to work hard. I wanted to do something to kind of create a generational shift. Yeah. Uh, I'm of Egyptian origin. So my parents are first generation immigrants. They came to the yeah. UK. Um, and I really wanted to do something to kind of take that next step forward to pass on to hopefully my kids one day. Uh, and I saw kind of building a, a financial foundation and getting some stability for myself as a big part of that and yeah that's kind of what drew me into the industry cool that's that's interesting i, I want to press i want to ask a little bit more about just being an immigrant because i'm also an immigrant i'm from nigeria originally my parents and i we yes. moved here in a few years a number of years ago 12 14 years ago or so and so that just i love whenever i meet anybody that's also in that line and comes from an immigrant family and just the struggles yeah. of being an immigrant family i'm pretty sure you understand those as well so i, I always like to ask this question to every single one of us is like do you ever feel that pressure of like man my parents took everything and uprooted themselves from what they knew to give us a better chance and so i can't like i have to take the best opportunity that i have right now 100 percent. yeah i think that's a big part of it and i think anybody who comes from an immigrant family whether you know your first generation second generation etc yeah. i think you do end up being wired a little bit differently because of that and um, i'm generalizing here obviously but i think yeah. the work ethic that comes from that because people are hungry you know you see gary v talking yeah. about this stuff all the time yeah. right yeah. and uh, how he came over he was an immigrant he's poor um and he wanted to change his life so he put in the hours put in the work and now he's obviously a super successful guy mm -hmm. so i think that kind of thinking maybe not to the gary v extreme but generally is very prevalent within uh, immigrant communities and when they get the chance to make the difference you know if they have a bit of luck or guidance when it comes to education and the things like that that are needed to really take the step up and i was fortunate you know i did yeah. manage to go to a good school and everything like that which you know combined with my work ethic and everything my ambition i think gave me the opportunity to really take that step forward but yeah massively grateful obviously my parents are the ones who took that big jump in terms mm -hmm. of coming over 
to the UK when I was an early age. And it's crazy because I have plenty of family and cousins, uh, et cetera, who are over in Egypt, uncles and aunties who are very well-educated, PhDs, doctors, and the money that you earn doing that kind of stuff, you know, is the same in Nigeria, is nowhere near what you can make in the States or in the UK, uh, even being way younger and less educated. Yeah. So yeah, every time I go back there, which is normally, you know, once or twice a year, I think that's really an opportunity for me to press the reset button, appreciate what I have, realize how lucky I am, mm-hmm. um, and realize, you know, the sacrifices that my parents made to give me the opportunities that I have today. Yeah, that's, that's totally true. Because I, I feel like it's just like a perspective change that we have and an opportunity to see things from two different point of views and two different worlds to combine those to kind of like it's like on one side it's like man i have all of these things and then it's like when i went i haven't been in so long i only the first time i've been since we came to the u.s was in 2019 and it was just like wow like i have it it's just you your perspective just completely switches and you just realize like man i am so blessed and like the amount of things that I have, I can't just be like, oh, yeah, this is cool. Like I have all this stuff, like and then complain about the fact that the Internet went out or something like that. It's like it's like, oh, my God, I have so much of this stuff. I have to run with it for just the opportunity that I've been given and just the things that I have in my hands. So, yeah, I definitely agree with you on that point, because it, it's a blessing. And sometimes it can be I, I've talked to some people where it's like it's also crippling at times where it's like. You, yeah. We overput pressure on ourselves. Do you ever feel that kind of way you like feel like I'm putting too much pressure on myself or you're just kind of like, this is what it Every is. And just push on. <laughs> Every day. I think it's real. That feeling, I think, goes hand in hand with ambition is the other side yep. of, of that coin, I feel, yep. where, you know, it, it's very difficult to strike that balance between being grateful for what you have, mm-hmm. but being hungry and ambitious for more. I struggle with it all the time, um, at every stage of my life. You know, I graduated from a good university in London with a first class degree. I didn't go to my graduation because I didn't see it as an achievement. I saw it as kind of the entry ticket to start doing. Oh, uh, I was OK, good. This is this is beautiful because when I uh, when I was graduated, like so I'm pretty sure it was the same way your family where it was just kind of like you saw so many people who had accomplished stuff. So it was just like, yeah, OK. And all your friends are like celebrating and just kind of like next step. <laughs> yeah yeah exactly that's exactly how it was but i think it's a it's a bit of a mistake when i look back at my own life because i think in an ideal world you know, nobody's perfect but you would be able to uh, appreciate those uh, moments in life and be grateful for them and enjoy them at the time yeah. uh, but also maintain that hunger and that ambition to get more now i think it's a very difficult balance to strike but you know in an ideal world we would all be able to do uh both of those things but i think one thing that always strikes me is when i go back to egypt as we were saying and uh, you know we talk about our internet cutting out and our first world problems over here you don't get the promotion you wanted or whatever it is right but then when you go back and you see the way that people are living over there very basic lives you know gdp per capita is a tiny fraction of what it is in developed economies yeah and you realize that those people are actually no unhappier than we are and i think that is something that always strikes me because it makes you remember that the point of life isn't to make as much money as you can. Money is a tool that you can use to become happy um, and to solve your financial problems. But it is just one tool to become happy. And, you know, you want to use your um, money in a way to create a great life, not use your life in a way to make as much money as possible. And I think it's very easy to get distracted by that and you end up thinking in the very hyper capitalistic societies that we live in 
that the money is the end goal. You know, yeah. that is the gold at the end of the rainbow, but it's not. It is something that you can use to get to the end of the rainbow, yeah. and that is happiness. And I think when I go back to, or whenever I travel, especially in, in develop, developing markets like Egypt, and I see, you know, how happy people are, they have great social relationships, they have good networks, they might not work the most exciting jobs, but they make enough to get by, and they have that kind of contentment. I think it really puts things in perspective and helps you remember what's important. Yeah, I definitely agree with you on that. I, when I was in Nigeria, one of the things we saw, and it was just so I, we were walking down the street and heading to church. And in the middle of the road, there were kids playing soccer, except it was literally just dirt road. There was nothing special about it. It had two uh, blocks of just two stone blocks as their post. And they were just playing soccer. And you, the kids were super excited and they were just enjoying themselves. And I was, and I thought to myself, is like, I get upset when I come over here if I don't have my boots or if I don't have the right ball or if the field is too is cut too low or too high or any of these other stuff. And it's like I get upset about that. But you can see like they're just playing and having fun and you just see people like celebrating together. And you can you can see people just jumping up and down for any little thing. And it's just like like you said, it's one of those things is like money is not the be all end all. It doesn't solve every single one of our problems. Sure, it helps us get to a certain point. But then after that, it's like there's a whole lot of other stuff that that sometimes we miss like you said we just end up thinking oh yeah this is what i need this is the only solution to every single thing and we can miss yeah. that a lot i know i do it too where it's like am i that's this is why i always say like it's good to have good people around you because then they can like level head you and put you like hey man calm, calm down like you can enjoy life as you're going to as you're striving for much better it's like it's okay you can enjoy these moments as you continue yeah. to strive better yeah, absolutely. 100%. I think, you know, that cliche of enjoy the journey, those cliches are around for a reason. Sometimes yeah. it's easy for us to ignore them and be like, I've heard that a million times. So it loses the impact that it has on you. But I feel like stuff like that is so real. And the, the hedonic treadmill that we're all on of getting accustomed to faster internet, better technology, better healthcare, mm-hmm. uh, you know, more instant gratification, same day delivery from Amazon, instant uh, downloads of music, all that kind of stuff, you know, you get used to it. And then whenever something doesn't go right, it is actually a source of unhappiness Mm -hmm. compared to the people who aren't used to it in the first place. So human beings are wired in a very strange way. Um, And I think, you know, like you were saying, money isn't the be all and end all, but there isn't enough, I feel, in the personal finance community who take it through that extra step. It's all about, you know, how to make as much money as possible. Um, And some people can have that consume their entire lives, you know, trying to research stocks, chasing after investments, doing this, and they forget to build a life around that. So I think that's why, you know, we'll get to investment philosophies and stuff like that in a little bit, I'm sure. But that's why I'm all about kind of getting the most bang for your buck, not just in terms of your financial return, but the return on your time invested as well. I think that is a super important concept to me. Yeah, definitely. I definitely love that. I love to tell people like, Human beings were not, I, I always get upset with whenever people start talking about money and these things and they start off, they always start off with like, oh, you should just do this, this and this. And they remove the humanistic aspect of it. They remove the emotions out of it. They remove like the fact that humans don't think rationally all the time. We're emotional creatures. Like if you don't appeal to our emotional side, if you don't talk about the hurt, the pain, the, the struggles that people are going through, everybody's just going to be like, okay, yeah, whatever. Like you got it figured out. Congratulations for you. But nobody's going to listen to you. So I get upset 
whenever I'm listening to somebody and they just feel like, oh yeah, I got this whole thing figured out. I'm like, but you're human. Like, you know, this thing, like, you know, like people hurt and people have all these other things that make them make mistakes. And we, you've done it too. Stop acting like you've never done it. And it gets so upsetting, but you know, it's just one of those things where it's just like, I, I really want more people in the financial space to talk more about this. Uh, like Ramit Sethi says, like, you can have a dollar, you can have $1 million, but it doesn't change who you are. It's like, at the end of the day, who you are is who you are. And you have this, your emotions are the things that you still have to deal with. You still have to handle. And I think it's very important Absolutely. for us to just continue, hopefully get more people to realize that and more people to like, get to that point where they're like, all right, cool. Like, this is where I am and I can still do better, even though I don't have a million thousand hundred dollars or anything like that. So, yeah. Absolutely. 100. I love Ramit Sethi's philosophy on money and life, actually. So it's interesting that you bring him up. Yeah. But yeah, I, I think he has some some great views on, on how to enjoy life and how to not just make money, but also how to spend money, which I think is an interesting concept as well. Uh, there's a yeah. really great book called uh, Die With Zero. I think it's Ben Simmons uh, is the author. And it's really interesting concept about you know, money is basically a bunch of experience points. And once you get past paying for the basic necessities, food, mm -hmm. housing, you know, shelter, clothing, all that kind of stuff, then the rest of it is just experience points waiting for you to use. Now, you can use them for experiences when you're retired or you can use them for experiences when you're younger. Certain experiences you can only have when you're young. And once that time bucket goes past, you know, you're not going to be riding around on jet skis when you're 80 years old if we make it to that age. So he's got this really interesting concept that, um, you know, I think the the average American uh, leaves over $300,000 behind apparently now. I don't know if that's mean or median, but the devil is in the detail here. <laughs> but that $300,000 being left behind, you, know, you imagine what kind of difference that could have made to that person's life if they spent yeah. it. You know, that's many, many visits to their favorite restaurant. Mm -hmm. That's many, many family holidays. That's, you know, a completely life-changing amount of money uh, that some people actually just hoard and don't get through, um, yeah. you know, even if they want to give it away as an inheritance. Yeah. Do that while you're still alive, if you can, yeah. uh, and see the joy that it brings to other people and see the difference it makes to their lives while you're still around. So I think, yeah. you know, making money is great, spending money is great, and just people need to have a, a bit of a balance between the two. I think, you know, there's a lot of big YouTubers out there who do amazing stuff, but they're very, very focused on saving more is better, save as much as you can. And that might be good advice for everybody when they're just starting out, but mm -hmm. I think there are a lot of people who can you know, really grind to the bone and they get to, you know, 30 years old, 40 years old, 50 years old. And they're like, oh, damn. Life is <laughs> like, gone. Like... Life is gone. You know, it, there's a lot of it. It can pass you by. And I think, especially we've seen during these times where everybody's in lockdown, mm -hmm. um, time flies, especially when you don't have those experiences and your brain just kind of compresses everything into a zip file because it all feels very much the same. Yeah. So, um yeah, it's important to enjoy enjoy the moment, enjoy the journey again. I'm I'm full of the cliches today. <laughs> hey man, like you said Cliche earlier. Bingo. Hey, cliches are a thing for a reason. There's some there's truth in within them, even though some people might take it too far. But there's definitely like true current. There's like there's a reason why they're there. Like you said, there's a reason why we say them. There's truth impact in them, even though we may we may like to ignore it sometimes. But they're definitely like there's definitely a reason why they're cliches. Like um, one of the things. I like to tell people whenever they ask me like money advice and all this kind of stuff, I always say like, what are the things that you love the most? Like, what are the things that if you had all the money in the world that you want to spend your money on? And then I'm like, keep then spend money on that stuff. Like 
they always say like, we have a limited amount of capital that we make. And then it's like, allocate that capital on things that you enjoy and then save the rest. And it's just like, and if you do that, you live life the way that you choose to live life. And you're not dictated by what society decides for you. But at the same time, you're enjoying life to the fullest as well. And I think that's one thing that, that's why I love, like we we talked about Remit. I'm definitely going to have to read that other book that you mentioned. What was the name again? Uh, Die with Zero. Die with Zero. So powerful name. (laughs) All right, sweet. I'm definitely going to have to check that book out. But that's one of the reasons why I don't tell people to like necessarily go Dave Ramsey and tell people to go Remit. Because I started Dave Ramsey and I had that whole mentality. But it's like after a while, things starts to switch a little bit. And I just love the way Remit just puts things in so much more perspective especially for our generation. And it just helps people think through all of these decisions and through these life consequences. But yeah. Absolutely. 100%. I think, yeah, I'm definitely in your camp there in terms of Dave Ramsey, Ramit. I think Dave Ramsey does some great stuff. I think Mm -hmm. his whole debt is really evil. It's probably useful for a big chunk of people who are the audience, who, um, you know, are the earlier stages of their financial education probably best to avoid debt is a powerful tool if you use it right and it's a dangerous tool if you use it incorrectly um but then i think once you kind of graduate past that and you really have a a better understanding of money and investing and how to leverage finance then i think uh ramit sethi is kind of the next level up Mm -hmm. in terms of not just how to make money but also how to utilize it as a tool Mm -hmm. to improve your life as well because as you said you know Uh, a lot of uh, advertising dollars out there, a lot of social pressure, a lot of keeping up with the Joneses is very difficult sometimes to actually take a step back and really independently think, Mm -hmm. how should I allocate my money uh, in order to give me the best life possible? You know, people out there buy luxury sports cars on finance and (laughs) buy really expensive designer kitchens that they can't afford and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, once they get them, seen it happen so many times right i've got friends who even the ones who have a lot of money right they've sold companies they've got their own startups and things like that and they go out and they buy a lamborghini or something and every single time they are absolutely shocked at how quickly the happiness (laughs) and the enjoyment fades of driving that car yeah Uh, a lot of the time these people have sold their babies right their companies that they founded and you know this is the exit that they were looking for Mm -hmm. they get x million dollars and they think that's going to make them really happy but instead they lose the fulfilling work that really gave them happiness. And instead they're left with this piece of metal that is really cool. Don't get me wrong, I've got nothing against Lamborghinis. If somebody <laughs> gave one to me, I'd be over the moon. But uh, I just don't think that that's a really a realistic way to get long-term fulfillment. And almost everybody who goes down that route finds it out for themselves yeah. as well. That's definitely true. It's uh, I don't know. There's something about work, which now we can switch off. <laughs> we can switch things a little bit. But the, I was uh, I was talking to my brother the other day, and I don't know if you work out or anything. I'm pretty sure you do because you look like you're in shape and you work a out. A little so, bit. I yeah. appreciate it. <laughs> <laughs> so when we're talking about brother, then we were saying like there's something about working, and then there's something about sweating, and like sweating and working. There's something that just I don't know what it is, but there's something special about those two things that we do on a daily basis that just either clears our mind or just gives us purpose to chase something. And then the moment we stop, we literally, the world moves on without us. And we just kind of like, we get lost a little bit along the way. We're just kind of like, so what do I do now? Like, uh, what is next for me? And so I think that's, like you said, is definitely like, what is, I I tell people sometimes, it's just like, what is the thing that you want to do for the rest of your life? Figure that out before you decide like, oh, I want to retire. 
like do that yeah. before you decide oh yeah I'm, I'm quitting or i'm doing whatever because or work towards being able to do that and sometimes it's we have to play those two sides of like what is the purpose that i that i want to fulfill while i'm here on this earth but then also how do i get to that journey and sometimes we have to do other things to get to that point yeah, yeah absolutely 100 i think there's massive amounts of research out there that have showed that human beings are generally happier when they are doing something productive now it doesn't need to be 18 hours a day seven (laughs) days a week type of thing but you know even if it's three four hours a day a few days a week if you have something like that where you feel like you're being productive and making progress at a goal i think that is a huge part of being human uh, and being happy you know that striving towards a goal is a really important part of life and when you remove that you see it with lottery winners you see it with people who sell their companies you see it with people who hit it big in crypto and -hmm. everything like that it the the pursuit of that goal a lot of the time is actually better than achieving the goal itself itself. so yeah human beings are just a wacky species man is it goes against every kind of common sense that you would think (laughs) but it's interesting when you read the science behind this stuff yeah definitely definitely so you know, what? let's let's switch out. We talked about the mentality. I've enjoyed that. I love talking about this stuff. I literally could talk about it all day. But people are like, "Yo, let's get to some invested topics." Like, come on, <laughs> let's come do on. It. But uh, anyway, but so I just want to ask, like, generally, I know you're a a value type of person, somebody who values before you invest in something. So I just want to ask, what is your general mentality when you decide, like, okay, I'm going big on this or I'm investing in this thing? What is the thing that? What are some of the tenants that you search for? You look for to see that you want to see within, whether it's a company, whether it's, I know we're going to talk a little bit about real estate in a little bit, but whether it's in real estate, what are some of the things that you like to see whenever you're researching and doing those kind of uh, understanding of businesses? Absolutely. I think first of all, I look at myself uh, in terms of uh, investing in myself and seeing where my strengths and weaknesses are, because you, you are the biggest asset in that sense. Yeah. And you've got to understand what your strengths and weaknesses are, even when you're analyzing the market. So let's say with companies for example warren buffett talks a lot about circle of competence right Mm -hmm. it's impossible for one human being to understand every type of business out there it's impossible to have a great understanding of every single sector out there so focus on what you know you know i work in investment bank the way that analysts in investment banks are allocated is they are very very focused on a specific sector you know even within technology media and telecoms tmt as people call it right you will have an analyst who covers five technology names that are in the same market. You will have an analyst that covers five media names that come from the same country. You know, they are very, Mm. very niche and they're very specific and focused. That's if you really want to outperform the market and you think you can and you really want to spend a lot of time and know what you're doing. Yeah, Because that's what the people at the investment banks are doing. That's what the people on Wall Street are doing. They're very, very focused and they spend, you know, 12, 14 hours a day with the best technology, the best research, the best tools and teams at their disposal, looking at very, very few companies and looking for tiny data points that tell them something that the market hasn't recognized yet. Um, So I think um, knowing what you know and understanding what you don't know is a very important step because nobody knows everything, uh, even the great investors. And it's the same thing with real estate. Uh, invest in markets that you know, invest in types of properties that you know and you feel you have an edge on, whether that's your local market and your local neighborhood and you feel, you, you know, you know that a house sold for $200,000 on this street and there's a new one going there. If you fix it up, it'll be worth two fifty. Like you need to you leverage the advantages that you have in life and in investing, I feel, uh, rather than kind of spreading yourself too thin. 
that's if you want to kind of outperform the market there's mm-hmm. no problem if you don't want to outperform the market that's what i do with the majority of my portfolio i just try yeah. and match the market with index funds coming back to what we spoke about with respect to time and i yeah. think this is something that uh, working in the industry has uh, tainted my view a little bit because i see people who spend a huge amount of time the very very smart people with like i said all the tools at their disposal and they struggle to consistently make the right calls on stocks so I know those people personally. And, <laughs> and when I see that, I think, okay, well, why am I going to spend my time trying to do the same? I would rather mm. actually passively invest into a global index fund. And then I would actually rather invest my time in developing my own skills and making more active income. Because I feel that that's one of the great myths of social media these days is passive income. Like uh, I've made a video about it. I'm sure you've made a video about yeah. it as well. It's <laughs> yeah. a popular topic, right? So no hate at all. But I feel like people place way too big of an importance on passive income before mm-hmm. they've generated an active income. You know, yeah. the best hedge funds in the world over the long run, you make about 20% return a year. So if, if you're if you're gonna get an active income, the same as you know, the Blackstones of the world and things like that, uh, and you've got 10 grand to start with, you're gonna make two thousand dollars a year. <laughs> like, you know, working like analyzing stocks all day, every day. That's what you're going to make over the long term. Sure, you might, you know, hit a lucky in Dogecoin or whatever and have a standout year, but you're also just actually a lot more likely to lose a lot of money doing that kind of thing as well. So if you can, if somebody offered you 20% a year over the long term return, any professional investor, anybody who's invested in a hedge fund will absolutely rip your arm off for that deal. It's a fantastic <laughs> opportunity. So if you can do it yourself, that's great, but you need a lot of money to make it worth your while and to yeah. get more bang for your buck than going and getting a job at McDonald's. So I think for most people, focus on your active income. Don't spend all day kind of trying to figure out which stock is going to the moon and basically mm-hmm. playing roulette, hoping to get lucky. Go and actually invest in your education, invest in your career, invest in your network, put your time into those areas. Sure, invest financially as well. Um but I just think you know the extra amount of time and effort you put into trying to outperform the market is a unlikely and b detracting from more realistic ways to actually make more money. So that would be kind of my advice. You know, my investment portfolio is pretty decent, not because I'm a wizard investor. Most of it is passive. Real estate is a lot more active, but it's because I invest a lot in my education and my career during an early stage. You know, I was working, you know, 12, 14 hours a day, six days a week for the first few years of my career without fail, no holidays kind of thing. And that's what gave me the money in order yeah. to invest. Um, and, you know, when you do that, you shouldn't have time to you know, go on TikTok and watch 500 videos about <laughs> how to make free money from Bitcoin and things like that. So I think people just it, it is doable, but you just need to put your energy into the right thing. And I think not relying on luck is a big thing. You know, you want to be rich in life then you should aim to be able to be rich in a hundred out of a hundred lives if you were reincarnated for example and when you start thinking like that you realize it's not about luck it's about making the right decisions and following Mm -hmm. kind of the right game plan in terms of okay i'm going to do this i'm going to build up my education i'm going to build up my network i'm going to get some capital by working a job i'm going to leverage that either you know using the internet making a youtube channel building a business employing people that is like the game, that is the framework for become rich. Of course, people do it through other ways. You know, there are loads of people who make it through luck and investing, but that's not a probable path to become successful. And like I said, you want to kind of come up with a formula where, you know, 
at least 90 out of 100 lives, you're going to make mm-hmm. it because, you know, we only get one shot at this thing in reality. So you want to <laughs> have a pretty probable path to success and not be relying on your 0.1% of the Dogecoin going to the moon after you've bought in kind of thing. Sure, yeah. have it as part of your portfolio, but it shouldn't be the core of your game plan. Facts. Facts. I think I, I like to say um, whenever people talk about inflation, I'm, I always say, like, I really don't care too much about inflation because as long as my skill set is always in, in demand, I'm going to be fine anyway. Because I, I don't know, I heard of Warren Buffett, he was he was asked about it and they were like, so with inflation, how would you invest for inflation? And he was like, yeah, you could do real estate, you could do all this stuff. But it was like, at the end of the day, the most important thing that you need to do is to make sure that your skill set, whatever you are, like he was like, if you're a doctor, if you're a good doctor, people are going to keep coming to see you. Like if you're whatever you are, like as much as much as possible, it's like I say the mo- most important investment you can make is in yourself because that can reward you more times than not. Now I'm big on like, oh, you know, invest passively in like an index fund and all this stuff in the background. But it's, you know, you're putting that in for the long term. It's not like, oh yeah, I'm going to go to that tree that I just, that seed that I just planted yesterday and then pluck it out. And then it's like, oh, where's the fruit? It's like, no, it's not going to grow that fast. So we have to do other things. We have to, like, I like to say, like, everyone loves to say like, chase your passion. I say, fund your passion because that way, like you're doing something because most of the time our passions, like, are draining our pockets more than they're funding our pockets. So <laughs> I like to say fund our passion and then find something that will put something in your pocket where you can invest in those skill sets that you're passionate about. And then those can then turn into something perpetual for you and down the road. So I definitely agree with that. It's just like, where's the focus? Like, what are you, what are we spending? Uh, somebody said you're, uh, what is it? Penny wise, dollar foolish. It's like, we spend mm. so much of our time focused on all the, pennies that we can make up for and then we lose time on all the dollars that we are seeing right on the road in front of us because sometimes it looks like work like it's fun mm. to sit behind a computer and be like oh i see this stock and i can do this research it's fun like it's definitely i'm not gonna lie i love doing it like i love passively doing it in my free time but at the same time it's like the actual work that we need to do is it takes more time and it takes more effort it takes more energy and i definitely agree i love i love what you just said for sure Thank you, man. I think I think you make an absolutely amazing point there in terms of people being so busy. People are busier than they've ever been before, right? Especially now, even with the working from home, right? It's back-to-back mm-hmm. Zoom calls. You know, before, when I was working, you, know, you had uh, the taxi between client meetings. You had the coffee before you went in mm-hmm. to see someone. You had the, you know, the chit-chat by the water cooler or whatever. Yep. Now, it's just back-to-back-to-back to back to back all day. So people are busier than they've ever been before, um, that's what society dictates nowadays and that's why everything is built for convenience um but i think a busy calendar and a busy mind really destroys your ability to do great things if you look yeah. at kind of super successful people in the past they didn't try and do everything they tried to do a few things and they made a few decisions every year that were mm-hmm. very 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 big powerful impactful decisions that's like awesome. warren buffett makes with his portfolio he doesn't you know he's not trading in and out of the market chooses a few <laughs> stocks every year he knows them better than anyone he has access to senior management of those companies and when he decides to go in he goes in big right so i think it's it's the same with investing as, as it is with life um you don't want to be you know running errands here and there wasting your time doing this and that you know on social media all the time you want to be making really focused on making those two or three big decisions a year or even less than that if needed they're really going to have the maximum impact on your life and all yeah. of the other stuff is just noise uh, yeah. you can have a very busy calendar and be very unproductive at the same time and see it and work all of the time because being busy quote unquote 
is social status <laughs> these days, right? Whenever yeah. you bump into somebody, especially you know, in the office, and you say, how have you been? They say, oh, I'm so busy at the moment. <laughs> that means that you're not managing your time properly. If you're that busy, uh, you're not managing your time properly. You're not choosing what you shouldn't be doing. Um, but it's social status these days. Mm. If you bump into somebody, they say, how busy have you been? And you reply, oh, no, I'm okay. I had a couple of meetings yesterday. They'll be like, oh, that guy's a chump. <laughs> that's just how we're conditioned but it's, it's not true at all so you've got to fight the the social stigma and try and be a little bit different i think when it comes to that yeah so one thing you just mentioned is just like all the noise so one i was gonna i just want to ask you like how do you cut through and you you i mean you perceive to me as somebody who's very thoughtful about everything that's going on around you so how do you break through the noise how do you disperse all the everything that's being poured in on a daily basis and be able to spend that time to like figure out what it is that's going on in your mind rather than what everybody else is pouring into your mind yeah i think there's a few elements to this it's, it's one of the struggles <laughs> that we all go through in life right i think uh you have to be very very ruthless with your time and how you choose to spend it and there's loads of elements to that there's social media usage i generally don't use social media at all other than trying to put content out there every now and then um but i why don't is it consume that, you, that hold much on, like it. before you keep going like it seems it's very consistent like most people that i know who make content for social media end up consuming very little of the content on social media like there's a few people that either like so for me i'm not big on watching most of, like any other thing so i watch youtube a lot in the background of stuff yeah. However, yeah. apart from that, it's like, I don't really partake in anything. Like I make video, like even TikTok, I make videos for TikTok, I post and I bounce. And so I barely ever like stay in the, thing. but the it formula. just feels like most people who formula, create, just like create bounce. It's just like, nobody ever just stays on the platforms. Yeah. Because I, I think creating takes a huge amount of time. And if you're creating to the best of your ability consistently, you probably don't have time to consume that much content and do mm -hmm. other things as well. At least that's how I find it. You know, in terms yep. of uh, my work is pretty demanding. Uh, producing YouTube content, that I feel at least okay putting out. You know, it's never you're never 100 happy with it. As it's you way better well. than okay and though. Like I was watching, I was like, oh my god, this is so good. Uh, thank you, I really appreciate it. But you know, you know how it is when you're putting videos out. You you never feel 100 mm -hmm. happy with them. So you know, the amount of time that you could put into that is technically. Uh, in infinite right mm -hmm. it, it, you could go on and on you could spend you know 100 hours a week making one youtube video if you really want to so you need to kind of just figure out where to draw the line um and then you know trying to maintain a social uh, life as well uh, a relationship with my fiance uh hobbies staying in shape uh, yeah. personal development reading languages etc so uh when you think about what your goals are and where you want to be in a few years and i was very big on this from an early age um i would kind of try and imagine where i want to be 10 years from now and it's a big interview question right when you go for mm -hmm. a new job where do you want to be five years from now where do you want to be 10 years from now etc um but i think actually having your own view whether that's the one that you answer with in the interview question or not i think having your own view is super important because yeah. then you can actually work backwards from that and say okay what steps do i need to take between yeah. now and then in order to actually get there and again you don't want to have a thousand different steps because <laughs> No, 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 no. Did I cut out or did he cut out? That's the question. There we go. There we go. So yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't. I don't know where you lost me. Sorry about that. 
Yeah, you lot. I think you were you were talking about just the fact of social media and just having to separate ourselves from it a little bit and just creating. There's no way that we spend an infinite amount of time creating and then cut cut out. Yeah, yeah. So I think what I was just trying to say is that yeah, when you create, it takes so much time, and you also want to maintain a balance. We're all trying to spin all of those plates, you know, social mm-hmm. life, creating content, work. Uh, relationships, personal development, reading languages, blah, blah, blah. You know, your to-do list every day is uh, <laughs> up the wazoo. So it's it's difficult to keep everything going at the same time. Um, and that means that you have to be very ruthless with your time, especially when you have those goals that we're talking about in mind. Mm-hmm. And, you know, uh, when you create that to-do list every day, uh, does every item on that list contribute to you moving towards those goals or not? And if it doesn't, it shouldn't be on your to-do list. Uh, yeah. so I probably spend too much time thinking about what I should and shouldn't be doing and trying to optimize that kind of stuff. And, you know, morning routines and evening routines and <laughs> how many minutes a day I should spend doing this. And I tend to get carried away with this. None of us are perfect, but I think it's good to just be aware at least because your daily habits, I think, are a massive part mm-hmm. of that. Whatever you spend time on, whatever you focus on, whatever energy goes into is that that is going to be the direction that you make progress on. So uh, a lot of the time, uh, maybe once a year, I will look at kind of a, my daily routine and I like to allocate how much time I put into certain things. You know, if I have a New Year's resolution, for example, to learn Spanish, it, it's easy to have that. But then I think you need to have a daily goal or yep. you know, at least a few days a week goal. How much time are you going to spend working on that? The amount of time that I speak to somebody at work or speak to somebody outside of work who wants to launch their own business, for example. Oh yeah, I'm working for a company now, but I want to leave in a few years to start my own business. And then I'll say, okay, that's really cool. Uh, A lot of people want to do that. What have you done in the last 24 hours to work towards that goal? Oh, nothing. Uh, What have you done in the last week to work towards that goal? Nothing. What have you done in the last month? You know, people expect that sometimes that this thing that they want is just going to happen. One day, you know, they're going to be sat under a tree like Isaac Newton was, and apple's going to fall, and they're just suddenly going to discover gravity. Unfortunately, <laughs> the reality is not like that, and I've learned it the hard way, is that you need to put in time every single day if you really want something. You know, whether that is learning a new language, whether it's starting a business, whatever it is, I feel like if it's important to you, then it should be taking up a, a slot in your kind of mental calendar every single day, and you should be putting in work on it. And if you do that, I think that's how progress is made. If, if you spend one hour a day doing something every single day for the next three or four years, I've got no doubt that after three or four years, you're going to be a lot better at it than you were before. Um, yep. That's just a bit boring to a lot of people, right? It's not, it, it, it's a slow process, but it's the reality, unfortunately. Yeah. I mean, we really under, under, we underestimate the power of compounding so much, like just, Somebody said one thing one time was like, do something 1% better every single day. And by the end of the year, you have done, you'd have been 365% better than when you started off the year. But we underestimate that. Like, we always just be like, oh, I should just be automatically better about this. Like, you said something about habits. And I I like, I'm a big Warren Buffett guy. And he said a quote one time. And he said, uh, the chains of, the chains of habits are too light to be felt until they're too heavy to be broken. In other words, like it takes, we don't realize what we're doing when we're doing it until it's way too late. And then now we're trying to struggle to get out of that habit that we have. And it's hard to break the habit. And it's so difficult. 
And it's that's literally how a lot of things are in life. Like it starts off small. And then it's just like, mm. if we don't, if we're not active about it, if we're not on top of it to pay attention to like what it is that we're doing and what are some of the things that we may need to like adjust, like as soon as we start noticing it, it's like, okay, maybe I need to adjust this, change this and make adjustments as we go. It doesn't mean that we do the same thing every day, but just figuring out what are those things that are our most priority items and knocking those things out of the park every single day. I mean, I'm not much yeah. of a morning routine person, um, to be honest. Like, I just, I know, I just like, I like lists. And I know that one, I just go through the list. Yeah. And it's like, what are the things I need to get done? Can I get these things done? And it's like, just do, doing that just sends like this, it's just this euphoric feeling where you're like, okay, I'm moving towards where I need to be. And so, I mean, it's different. There's little I mean, dopamine scooby snacks. When you cross exactly. Off exactly it's like i like to tell people is like find ways to trick your brain to doing the things you wanted to actually do like whatever it takes like just find something to give yourself rewards and all these things to make your brain actually move in the direction that you want it to move in rather than just like eh, it might work out eh, and just kind of leaving it up to chance too much so definitely agree with you on that point yeah i think the compounding thing is big right everybody thinks about it in financial terms again um, you know, with all the different examples and stuff to show you, you put a grain of rice on a chessboard and then you double it as every every <laughs> square goes on. And by the end, it's going to weigh like 5,000 times the weight of the world. There won't be that much rice, you know, all that kind of stuff. So I think people really, on social media, it's big, right? The, mm -hmm. the power of compounding in your finances, but not so much uh, is it spoken about the power of compounding in your experience and your skills mm -hmm. uh, which is something that you alluded to earlier as well and i think you know rich dad poor dad is a great book that's very famous and you know robert kiyosaki the author has got some very questionable views on investing nowadays i think <laughs> a very transformational book for a lot of people including mm -hmm. myself um, of how to think more like uh, you know with a rich person mindset and a business owner rather than the employee mindset so i think mm -hmm. uh, one of the things that it talks about is um take jobs in order to get experience and skills rather than for money and mm -hmm. at the time you know when i read the book i was probably 16 years old it didn't really resonate with me i was like you mean take a job for skills and experience i'm here to get paid <laughs> i'm not here for the skills and experience but as i get a bit older i think i really realized the power of that because mm -hmm. there are plenty of people who took high paying jobs that weren't necessarily aligned with what they wanted to do in the long term etc and what you realize is that um, the skills and experience also compounds you know yeah. if you're a little bit better at something than everybody else at the start or you have a little bit more experience then you're going to get hired at a better place and then you're in a better place you're around smaller people you're going to mm -hmm. get better training then you're going to get investors to invest in you to do your own thing then you're running a company you have experience running a company so all these little things actually make a massive difference when they compound over time in the same way that they do uh, with athletes I keep talking about books but another great book outliers which kind of breaks down i don't know you've read it so it breaks mm -hmm. down like the success behind some of the most uh, successful people in the world bill gates one of the first people in the states to get frequent access to a computer at a very young age ended up being the founder of microsoft i'm not taking anything away from him i'm sure if i was that person with access to a computer i would end up <laughs> at a completely different place uh, <laughs> on the world wide web than he did but um uh i, I think it's really interesting when you talk about that compounding element again mm -hmm. uh, because it talks about athletes and how some athletes uh, because of the way the school system works you have an eldest in the year and a youngest in the year and the people who are the eldest in the year doesn't make a big difference when you're you know 18 years old but when you're five 
you know, the difference between a five-year-old and a six-year-old physically is massive. Yep. So, you know, if you're nearly, if you're 11 months older than the rest of your peers or a lot of them, then you're naturally going to be a bit better at sport. You're going to be a bit bigger, a bit stronger, a bit faster. And then that means you're probably going to be the captain of the football team. Because you're the captain of the football team, you're probably going to get a bit more attention in practice. And then, you know, because you get a bit more attention in practice, you're going to get a bit better. Then the scouts are going to come watch you. Then you're going to yep. get invited to the better league. And then all of those little things compound yep. over time. Those little differences become big, big differences down the yep. line. So I didn't see that when I was 16, but now, you know, I'm 31 now, and I see it massively. The people who did jobs, for example, that provided not much more money or even less money, but um, were very demanding, but gave them great skill sets. Uh, um, now, the difference between the people who jobs and put in hours, even though it didn't maybe pay them as much, uh, and the people who took a job just for the money. The difference yeah. between those two paths is absolutely huge right now. Um, so, yeah, it, the, the gap widens, I think, as time goes on. Yeah, I definitely agree with you on that. It's, it's just interesting, like, just thinking about it. I, always, uh, I like to use the example of, like, whenever we start, we didn't just start running when we, when we came out of the womb. Like, we crawled, then we walked, then we fell, then we, we walked a little bit more, we held the bar of the chair, we held the couch, we held our dad's hands, we held our mom's hands. And then one day we were walking. And then one other day, all of a sudden we're riding a bicycle and it's like, whoa, oh, how did that happen? But <laughs> we we don't pay attention to those things. Like when we start talking, we don't just start forming sentences. Like we start off with like one letter words and two letter words, but it's just like, we, we ignore a lot of the things in our lives that compound, but we only think about it in like, oh, this is, you can make $1 million if you just invest $6,000 every single year. Da, 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 da. And it's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. But like, we really need to, I think, like you said, is just focusing on our skill sets. Like what, what is the skills that you want to get out of this thing? Why do you want to do this thing? What is the, what is the end goal that you're trying to get to? As long as we, I think if we focus on that, as, as we focus on that as our North star and not just like, oh, just chase the dollars in the sense. It's like, if you focus on the North star of being like, I want to get to this position, how can I navigate to that position? And we keep on climbing towards that. All the other stuff tends to just come along the way of getting to that position. So I definitely, definitely agree with you on that. But um, let's talk a little bit about your real estate experience. Why as a, I don't think I see this a lot. So why as a, somebody who works on a trading floor, did you decide, you know what? I see everything going on around me. I'm going real estate. That's where I'm heading to. Not to try and figure out, even though I could probably do it, I could probably beat the market on a regular basis because you're too humble. So you ain't going to say it, but we, we say it on your behalf. So it's like you decided, ah, you know, I'm going to go real estate because I see something over there. What was the what was the drive that made you start investing in real estate? Yeah, it's a good question, man. I think there's two things. Uh, one is that in the UK, we're absolutely crazily obsessed with real estate. I think um, so. there's been a huge, yeah. Yeah, especially right now. I mean, mm -hmm. all over the world, especially you know, big cities on the outskirts, uh, real estate markets have been going crazy, right? Interest rates are super low. There's I'm a housing like, boom everywhere can, right now. Can everybody um, just relax so I can buy me one? Like, please, just like everybody yeah. just calm down. <laughs> it's, it's, it's tough, man. It's tough if you're not on the ladder just because things have ran away with policies and, and um interest rates over the last few years but 
Yeah, I think in the UK, everybody knows somebody from the previous generation, whether it's their parents, uncles, aunties, you know, friends, parents, or, or grandparents, whatever, who has made a boatload of money through real estate. So it's just like crypto, right? You hear about somebody yep. who's made a shit, <laughs> a load of money through that, then you're like, uh, maybe I should take a look at that as well <laughs> and see, uh, see what's going on. It piques people's interest, right? Mm -hmm. So I think that was one part of it where I knew a lot of people who had, uh, you know, turned real estate investing, developing and being landlords into a career and made a lot of money from it and being successful because the housing market in the UK over the past 30 years has been absolutely phenomenal. Um, mm -hmm. You know, house prices double every seven years on average in the UK. Wow. So crazy house price growth. Price growth. Um, so that was part of it, seeing that success. Uh, the other part comes down to one word, which is leverage. Um, and leveraging real estate is mm -hmm. an amazing amazing beautiful thing um not so much with stocks right so for mm -hmm. speaking from a bank's perspective work at a bank right if you lend somebody um uh, money to go and buy a house and you give them a loan against 75 percent of the value you can feel pretty confident that you're going to get your money back if you don't get your money back your asset is probably going to be worth at least as much as the loan mm -hmm. now uh, when you lend somebody a margin loan to go and buy stocks that is a lot riskier, uh, hence why they have to give margin calls and they have to post cash and uh, all that kind of stuff. Variation margin as, as the price fluctuates, which means that a lot of people get closed out of their positions before they'd like to when they buy yeah. stocks on margin, which I would not recommend unless you really, really know what you're doing, by the way. Um, so um, real estate leverage, when you don't have money and you start, we don't have a lot of capital and you're starting out, you need to find ways to leverage your money. Um, nowadays, there are a lot of different ways uh, to get that leverage. You can get financial leverage in terms of getting a loan from a bank and investing in real estate. You can get leverage by employing other people to work for you. You can get leverage by using the internet and uh, having access to people all around mm -hmm. the world. But I think one thing that anybody who has made a lot of money has in common is that they use leverage. And that, that is something that is very obvious, I think, when you look across successful people. So those are the two things that drew me to real estate. Um and yeah, I bought my first property nearly 10 years ago. I scraped together a deposit, bought down a really rundown place. Uh, I went halves with a friend. We bought down a really rundown one bedroom flat in London. Uh, we renovated it. Um, we sold it a couple of years later and made about 200,000 pounds from it. So that was huge, life-changing amount of money at the time for both mm -hmm. of us. And it was just a completely different feeling to making money through working. And we put, you know, about 30,000 pounds into the place as a deposit and then spent probably another 30 doing it up. So in terms of an ROI in a couple of years, it was absolutely insane compared to anything that I could have done in the stock market. And mm -hmm. the feeling of getting that money, especially because the tax benefits as well in real estate, uh, that much money just landing in your account when I was 23, I was like, whoa, <laughs> this, is, uh, <laughs> this is pretty interesting. So I think... Uh, after that deal, it really kind of put me on the real estate path. Uh, it's, it's very time consuming. It's not easy. Um, it doesn't always go right. In fact, I guarantee that if you become a landlord, things will go wrong. It's part and parcel <laughs> of the business. But I think the rewards are there if you're willing to put the work in, uh, especially because of the leverage and the tax advantages as well. Yeah. I, I'm Speaking of leverage, I'm, I'm of the... Like I said earlier, a lot of my, my mentality for when I was starting out, we just learned about finances and everything was like Dave Ramsey-esque. And I still have a lot of Dave Ramsey in me because I, 
that like we talked about very at the very beginning of this thing is one thing that i i feel it's a double-edged sword it's like it can do you can use it very well but if you don't know what you're doing it can end up cutting you as well and you can end up making yourself go so how have you been able to like balance the two parts of that play of like knowing like when you see something that's very enticing but then knowing like okay maybe i shouldn't do that deal because i know i've already like put myself in this position with other deals and i may over lever myself in a situation yeah it's a great question i think it comes down to a couple of things uh, i think first everybody needs to know their own risk appetite when yeah. investing in anything i think that's super important i think my risk appetite um when, especially when I was in my early 20s, was very, very high. Swing for the fences. Uh, you know, I think I've said before that if I could buy a billion pounds worth of real estate right now, if somebody would lend me the money, I would go and do it. Um, I have the risk appetite to do it. And I think that I could, I could if I got that money. Uh, obviously, there were probably a lot of people who said that in 2007 before <laughs> the last crash. Um, but, but I feel like, and I've been saying this for a couple of years now, people of my generation in the UK, we say to the parents, why didn't you go and buy a house in London when it was like 50 grand? Uh, you know, we'd all be retired, you know, sitting on a yacht drinking champagne right now. And I feel like our children will be like, why didn't you go and buy more houses when interest rates were zero percent? Uh, and, you know, you could get 95% mortgages, which were un- underwritten by the government right now. So um, I've seen like the last few years as a really golden opportunity for people to buy real estate just because of the really low interest rate environment, artificially uh, letting people borrow more money and pump prices up. Um, And I think everybody should try to own at least one property in the place that they live in because, Mm -hmm. or that they would like to live in one day because the way that I look at real estate is that if you have uh, zero real estate exposure, whether you know it's through REITs, for example, or mm-hmm. actually buying physical property yourself. If you have zero real estate exposure, then you are effectively short the housing market because everybody needs a place to live, and one day yeah. you will probably want to buy a place to live. So yeah. you have a short position versus the real estate market. If you have one property in the place that you would like to live in the long term, if I want to live in London, if I have one property in London, then I am flat against the housing market because the housing market goes up i still want to live in london i will sell my place for more money i will also buy a place that is more expensive i will not make a net gain you know if you have more than one property you are now long the housing market and you're betting that the real estate market will go up so i think you know it's very common people to aspire to buy their their own home i think Mm -hmm. i probably don't need to try and convince people to do that but i think thinking about that you know zero being short one being flat more than one being long type of position as people might do with stocks kind of really helps you put things in perspective because it is a basic need, right? And like yep. investing in stocks, I guess you can't live in a, in a stock. I, I could argue that stocks are our basic <laughs> needs of life as well because I need I stocks agree. to live. <laughs> but, I, would, I, would, but, I would agree. Yeah, but I definitely, I definitely understand where you're coming from because it's something like me and my siblings, we've been talking about like, hey, maybe we should, uh, maybe we should start looking at trying to do this a little bit more and 
I mean, like you said, we talked, you talked about the, your risk appetite. I say like our, when we're young is like an opportunity for us to go zero, but we can recover because we got time. So it's like, you can yeah. bet big and then we can come back from betting big and then we can recover from any of those downturns. So that's how do you actually, that's a good question. How do you think of risk in general? Do you think that your risk appetite has changed from when you first started? Like you mentioned, like when you were a bit younger, you're, you were more risky, but has it really changed all that much? Or is it basically just a little bit less, but basically the same thing? I think it's a little bit less, but I think it's a good question. I think people's risk tolerance is also very much based on their circumstances, right? Mm -hmm. um, so they say the more money somebody makes, it turns from wealth creation as being your goal into wealth preservation. You know, if you mm -hmm. look at billionaires or somebody like Kevin O'Leary or whatever, they're always talking about wealth preservation. But, you know, they're happy to match inflation, beat it by a couple of percentage points. They don't really need to create that much more wealth for themselves or the next generation. Yeah. If you're not in that kind of position, which unfortunately most of us aren't, then <laughs> your priority is, is, you know, to try and create wealth and get ahead. And I think certainly when you're in your 20s, when you're in your 30s, that's the goal. And that's why you should be taking risks. That's why you probably shouldn't have that many bonds in your portfolio. And that's why you should be comfortable taking out debt to buy real estate. Um, mm -hmm. Now, if you wait until you can buy a place cash, I mean, we all know that how that would have gone in the housing market over the last 10 years. You know, you're basically <laughs> short the real estate market is getting further and further away from you. Mm -hmm. um, so I think one thing that helped me have that risk appetite is actually having a job with a good income where I know if my tenants don't pay the rent for a year, I can cover it. If yeah. my boiler blows up and I need to buy a new one for five grand, I can cover it. So, you know, I have multiple income sources. Uh, at first, you know, just my job and a rental property. But, you know, even having two was felt a lot more secure. You know, one wasn't going well, the other one could help support it. Um, and I think as you build more and more income streams, you see the benefit of that. And that lets you, ironically, take more risk as you get more money. Because then you're like, you know what? Those people who invested, you know, 50 grand into Bitcoin, they weren't people who were generally YOLOing their entire life savings. Yeah. There were a few crazy people out there <laughs> who were basically sending money to some random person on the internet before they knew what, what, what they might have known what it was. But, you know, 99 times out of 100, you, you lose your 50 grand when you do yep. that. So, you know, there's a small minority who were literally betting the house on that thing going to the moon yeah. but the vast majority of people who really went big into it weren't people who made their money through bitcoin they probably made a lot through it now but to put 50 grand into a very experimental asset at the time they probably had made a lot of money somewhere else and that means that that 50 grand to them is not what it is to most other people yeah. and that's why they're able to take those risks and they're able to make the big bucks because they've got multiple income sources yeah. so i think that's like a uh, a part of investing that a lot of people don't necessarily see where they're like wow this guy made this much from, from this it's like yeah but he has a completely different risk tolerance to you because he also has money in x y and z and x y and z might not have made him any money at all they might have gone to zero just like venture capital investing right it's like mm -hmm. uh, this person invested in facebook he's an absolute genius yeah but yeah, you missed all the 99 others that you can see yeah <laughs> Exactly. But that's the name of the game. When you have mm -hmm. you know, VC type money or you have a lot of personal wealth and you can afford to take uh, you know, risks in several different bets and they're measured risks, you know, putting 50 grand into Bitcoin when it wasn't a known thing 
yeah, it could be a bit crazy, but if you've got, you know, $10 million investment portfolio, there's not really anything to worry about. Uh, so it really just depends on your circumstance. And I think for me, having that income through my job meant that I could really swing for the fences with real estate, I could swing for the fences with stocks and not be that worried about it because worst case scenario, I'd lose my entire investments, but I'd still be earning a decent amount of money through work and then I would just do it all over again. Sure. Hopefully with better results the second time. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I like to say. Like, it's, it's, it's so true. I, I learned this from one of my friends. He was like, you have to look at the whole picture and it's like, once you have most things covered, once you have your basis covered, it's just like, oh, he was like, you, I was discussing with him and I was like, yeah, I don't really feel like I can do this. And I was like, I was talking about investing in stocks at the time. And, you know, I was still focused on like ETFs and those kind of things. And it was like, dog, you're fine. Like you have, I was showing him my portfolio and everything. He was like, dog, you're fine. Your investment portfolio is fine. You can pick single stocks. Like you can take more yeah. risk, man. And it's, it's just, it's a different mindset. It's like, once you understand like, okay, that, that I'm good. Like I have a well-paying job that can cover most things for me. And now I can like start taking a step out. Like I can take two steps out. I can take three steps out. It's like, you can start thinking in different avenues and in different ways because you know, like, okay, all my needs, like all the basic needs are like good and met. Now I can like, venture out into the wild it doesn't mean like you just do anything dumb like completely ridiculous but you still venture out into the wild and be like let's see what like what what this has to offer and if it doesn't work like all right well i'm still good though it's like it's not the end of the world i'm not dying it's not like anything like that it's just like it's okay like we can just keep pushing off from there so that's that's definitely a good way to good thing to share with everybody is like take care of the 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 passive stuff take care of the important stuff take care of the skill acquisition stuff take care of the like i have money coming in on a regular basis stuff and then from there you can start looking at the okay how do i dream bigger how do i aspire to other things as well but yeah yeah i completely agree i completely agree yeah so to finish off the podcast, we talked about a lot of good stuff on this. I'm, I, I'm enjoying this. But to finish off the podcast, you, you said a lot of good stuff. Now nah, I got to make you look bad in front of everybody. But we play a little game on the show called This or That. And you don't have a choice. You have to pick one or the other. And a lot of this stuff, you mentioned it during the podcast. So I know like mm, he's not going to like this too much because it's not in his, <laughs> he's not going to like it a lot. But it's good. It's, I like the tension. That it brings up in a lot of people. But anyway, let's get started. Are you ready? Let's do it. All right, cool. So, Bitcoin or gold? Bitcoin. Ethereum or Bitcoin? Ethereum. Ethereum or Dogecoin? Ethereum. I'm just going to throw out Dogecoin because nobody I bring on here is ever going to pick Dogecoin. It's just like, okay, I need to throw it out. All right. Only the, only the people holding Dogecoin say Dogecoin. <laughs> exactly. They're not going to be on here because, you know, we just will not see eye to eye on anything. So um, let's see. Uh, Ethereum or AMC? Ethereum. Ethereum or the financial market? Oh, what do you mean the financial market? Like the just banks and everything that's we have today. Oh, the financials. Yeah. Uh, um, banks, I think. Bank stock's pretty undervalued right now. Mm. All right. So Ethereum, okay, decentralized finance mm. or what we have right now with centralized finance? 
I think DeFi is the direction of travel. It's just when and how we get the other questions yep. in my mind. Okay. Okay. All right. Stable coins or centralized government coins? I think centralized government coins are going to wipe them out whether we like them or not. Facts. All right. Apple or Microsoft? Ooh, Apple. Mac or Windows? So I have this debate with my fiance all the time. Uh, I'm still on the fence, to be honest. I'm more in the Mac camp. I use a Windows for work, mm -hmm. and then I use a Mac for play. And it just I think whatever camp you're in, just stick to it. Otherwise, you'll end up like me and confused and using the wrong shortcuts all the time. But I'm probably <laughs> leaning towards Mac because that's what I'm using more these days. Gotcha. If we, let's, okay, uh, Facebook or Google? There is a right uh, answer to this Google. one. Google. I get yeah. upset if anybody tells me Facebook. I'm just like, no, I refuse to accept Facebook on any level. I understand it's a good company, but I just know. If anybody answers Google, we get into a fight. So why, good, that, why, why are you so anti-Facebook? I just do not want that company to be the company that does all of the stuff because they just, I don't know, that company scares me. Like Google has all my information, mm -hmm. but at the same time, I don't yeah. know why. I don't know if it's like I'm just blindly trusting Google. There's just I don't know what it is about Facebook. I just cannot trust Facebook. <laughs> probably it. It's probably Zuck. It's just like I don't trust your face, man. I don't. I don't. I don't trust your face He's at all. For one of those faces, hasn't he? <laughs> <laughs> He's up to no good. Facts. All right. Uh, Tesla or Apple? Apple. Tesla or the entire... as an investment. Okay. For, okay. Let, let's let's do this. If Tesla came out. Okay, Tesla has their cars. Let's not even do that. Apple car or Teslas? Oh, I'd probably say Tesla, to be honest. An Apple car would be working really well uh, until they released the Apple car too. And then the Apple <laughs> car one would just drive off a cliff and run out of battery straight away. So I'm probably going to go Tesla. <laughs> You'd have to pay for the accessory to charge your car. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Steering wheel sold separately. <laughs> <laughs> all right as an investment apple or tesla apple uh okay so tesla tesla by itself or the entire ev industry mm, the entire ev industry all right which one of just the... because of value mm -hmm. so let me let's say this who do you see in the ev space as one that seems to be making the biggest strides uh vw that's definitely true but i think that was like because of the lawsuit and they were forced yeah. to actually make strides <laughs> but yeah exactly every cloud has a silver lining right Fact. amazon or google uh it's hard to bet against jeff man it's hard to bet against jeff although he is he's taking the back seat now right you know what? i'm gonna say google mm. i'm gonna say google I feel like he's been taking the backseat for, I was listening to a podcast and they, he just came, they just came out with a new book on Amazon and it seemed like he had been taking a backseat for a little bit and just focusing on like some of the main things rather than every single thing in the business. But I'm, I'm, I'm yeah. still, I'm long Google over Amazon, but I love, I'm, I'm going to say I love Amazon as a bit, like there's some things they do I don't like, but as a yeah. stock and investment, I definitely like them. So, yeah. Um, yeah. Both. I mean, <laughs> they're, they're both awesome companies, man. Right? Uh, 
Costco or Amazon? Yeah, I'm not that familiar with Costco's mm. like latest developments. I know they've been crushing the online game though, right? Mm-hmm. So I'm gonna have to go with Amazon just for familiarity. Gotcha. I don't know All Costco right. stock that well. Cool. Uh finance or tech? I mean, I'm a finance guy, but I mean, tech is tech is tech, right? It's the future. But I think the transition now, can I say both and say fintech? That's what I was going <laughs> to, I was about to ask like fintech or tech or like the typical uh, things with the yes, tech. Yeah, I think just everything that's tech has just got crazy valuation on it nowadays, yep. right? It's trading crazy multiples. Uh, maybe those multiples will get even crazier and make more tech uh, money for investors in, in the near term but it's it's hard to rationally choose a lot of big tech companies over alternative investments right now if you're a value investor because there's not yep. a lot of value left on the table True. although you know people could have said that at the start of last year and we all know how that turned out right <laughs> so um hard to choose between fintech and tech but i think probably uh the tech market is very saturated with a lot of uh, new money when you know somebody downloads Robin Hood or Trading Two One Two for the first time, usually the first stocks that they will put money into are the tech stocks that pop, yep. pop up on the homepage. Uh, FinTech's maybe one layer away from there, so maybe there's the potential to find a little bit more value in those names if you're willing to dig a little bit, a little bit deeper. Yeah, yep, I definitely agree with that. So to work in industry, you would work in, which I know you're passionate about finance, but finance or tech, which industry do you prefer? Um, I mean, anybody graduating today, I think you'd have to be either really passionate about finance or absolutely crazy, uh, to go into finance <laughs> over tech. You probably need to be both, to be honest, to be, to be passionate about finance. You have to be crazy. Uh, so, uh, I think tech is, is where most of the, the brightest graduates are going these days. And I think yep. that's where the opportunity for compensation is the highest, not just in terms of, you know, your basic salary and everything like that but in terms of the the options and the share incentives and the exit opportunities right the, yeah. the saying that every company is going to be a tech company in a few yep. years is pretty true i think so yeah we're talking about those skills and experience that you get if you have that tech experience you can probably take it into finance you can take it into any industry afterwards uh, anyway so i would i would have to say tech all right footsie or s p 500 yes. 500 all day, man. <laughs> I am shocked. I am shocked. I'm sorry. I, I'm sorry. I've had to go against the UK here, but the UK returns have been abysmal over the past few years compared to compared to the S&P. The S&P has just blown everything else out of the water, man. Yep. Um, not saying that that is guaranteed to continue in the future, but um, just generally, I think the the stock market in the US is is proved everybody who's bet against it wrong for like the last 50 years so this is tough to bet against it huh. and well, it's also more, more sorry i was just gonna say no, it's go also ahead, go ahead. more diversified right you guys have 500 500 different companies we only have 100 and FTSE mm -hmm. 100 plus our, our uh, main index is a lot more geared towards industries which are kind of not the sexy places to be nowadays it's banks it's oil and gas it's very energy and the yeah, uh, etc. It's consumer staples. Um, yeah, got the kind of tech exposure that you get in the S and P five hundred, which you know 
you could argue about the value, but over the long term, you you could have won that tech exposure if your portfolio is going to grow. Man, I, I'm going to be honest. I was totally shocked because usually everybody is a homer. Like they always take whatever is th- for their home plate. Like that's what they're definitely going to pick up on. So I'm, I'm like, ah, anyway, that's a P. So here's I'm another sorry. one. So moving into the future. <laughs> yeah. Here's another one. Moving into the future. The United States market or the world? Mm, big question, man. Big question. Very difficult. Um, I would say the world, to be honest, uh, just because of uh, valuations and economic growth in emerging markets. So you look at the BRIC countries, Brazil, Russia, India, China, it's very, very hard to imagine, you know, over the long term, 20, 30 years from now, their markets not being a lot more international, uh, a lot more expensive, a lot more accessible to everyday investors mm-hmm. um not saying that the us can't keep pace with them there's a very good chance that it will um but i just think there is a huge huge number of people that are going to be pushed into the middle class in all of those places over the next 20 years as the economies grow and gdp per capita mm-hmm. rises and all of those people guess what just like you said they're going to invest in their home market yep. as well so yep. i think international exposure is is really important definitely agree with that it's like eventually that's the that's the like once more and more people are enter into the middle class of more countries you just see like all those markets start doing really really well and then it's just like a run to the races it's just like it's gonna be running away all right spring or fall spring it's closer to summer Mm. Uh, as in like like going into summer I'm a summer sun guy, yeah. I like oh. the heat, to be honest. I mean, wow. I've been living in Sweden for the last, you know, year, <laughs> roughly. So I, I, I don't see the sun very much. I'm a couple of shades lighter than I was when I moved here, <laughs> to be honest. Uh, so, yeah, I would take like 45 or 100 degree heat uh, these days. Trust me, man, like you don't want that. You don't want that. You don't want that 100 degree <laughs> because I'm literally living in it. And it's, I was outside this morning and it felt like I was literally melted. My skin was like, <laughs> So just just be okay with the like eighty, like just say eighty, because a hundred, a <laughs> hundred is painful. It's painful. But okay, the beach or the mountains? Uh, the beach. Okay, coffee or tea? Tea. <laughs> I'm a tea guy That's myself. In me. <laughs> That's a Nigerian in me. I'm a tea guy myself too. Exactly. All right. Yeah. Uh, real estate or stocks? real estate i knew it i knew it obviously just because the leverage factor man Mm -hmm. like uh, i would say both actually Mm -hmm. uh but i think the leverage factor um most people for most people stocks aren't gonna make you a lot of money in a short period of time the market that we've seen over the past one to two years is absolutely insane and people who have been investing for 10 years or so will know that people who have been investing for 12 months might not know that even if they read about it uh, they might not feel that they might feel mm-hmm. like this is going to keep happening it won't unfortunately um, and things are going to slow down and you know almost every bank almost every economist is now putting down his uh, forecast for stock market uh, targets for the mm-hmm. end of next year etc because valuations are so lofty and there's so much new money that's coming already yeah. i'm not saying the real estate market is a better place to be right now but just generally i think because of leverage uh, and because you have more control over your asset 
you have more levers to pull in order to create that wealth. With a stock, you can choose to buy it, you can choose to sell it, and that's basically it. With a house or with real estate, you can you can uh, rent it out room by room, you can make improvements, you can get planning permission to build extensions, etc., uh, etc. Et you have a, a few more tools. You can do cool things with the financing, their tax breaks, leverage. I just think if you're willing to actually put in the work on your yeah. investment and get that sweat equity out of it, I think there are more ways to make more money from real estate in a shorter amount of time. Yeah. Work. That's, that's the way that investing works, right? It's more work, more potential return. Yeah. So, you know, if you're passively buying an index fund, you're going to make an average return, but zero work. If you're trying to find the next big stock, you can make better returns, higher risk, more work. And then I think if you're dealing with a physical ass, even more work than that, but you can make even higher returns. Yeah. I mean, it's definitely true. That's definitely true. Like the returns you can get from this is definitely like, is different. You can lever yourself. And one of, one of the parts that people forget about when it comes to, especially with how low interest rates are right, right now, I'm going on a tangent, that I just came to a realization of this myself is like with interest rate being so low, like literally over time, you're basically, you're getting free money because interest is just basically eating away at that interest rate. And you just basically like, you're not really paying that much. And it doesn't feel like it. It won't feel like it. But at the same time, it's like the math of it is just like, you're basically just paying less than you actually owe. And it's like a beautiful, beautiful thing. But real estate. So I'm just finally starting it to is, like. Is. That's, that's what we're saying. Just about. Yeah, 100%. That's what I mean when you know, I say our kids are going to be like, why didn't you buy any real estate when the <laughs> interest rates were like you know, 2% on a 10-year 10 10 year fixed rate mortgage or whatever, right? Um, when inflation was higher than that. And yeah, the, yeah, you're essentially being paid to borrow money in real terms. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I think it's, it's still a great opportunity, even though valuations are super high. I think yeah. there's still pockets of, of great opportunity out there. Yeah. Yeah. And by the way, guys, this doesn't mean like, oh, like run outside today and do all this stuff and throw your money at any house you see. Like he said, you still got to do the work. Like you still have to like put the numbers together and figure out like what's a good deal and what isn't a good deal. Because at the end of the day, if you get a bad deal, it's still a bad deal. It doesn't matter how how good interest rates are or anything like that. If you're if you're losing money on a property, you're losing money on a property. So just make sure you're doing your due diligence before you just like, I'm excited. I heard about real estate and no, 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 Take your time, do the proper research, understand what it is that you're getting into and do the work that you need to do. But anyway, uh, with that, let me ask you a couple of, oh, wait, no, I cannot leave you without asking this question. Sweden or the UK, which do you prefer living in since you've been living at both places? The UK. Ooh. There's no place, no place like home. No place like uh, home. I love London, especially. Uh, mm. It's a super international city, so much going on, people from every part of the world living there, no matter where you come from, what you're interested in, mm-hmm. it can feel like home. It's kind of got that New York City type of thing to it, but not quite as hectic, not quite as polluted, and a little bit more history. So sorry <laughs> to any New Yorkers watching, but that's kind of my take on it. <laughs> So you've traveled to a lot of places and we didn't get into that whole thing today. We'll get to it another time, hopefully. But what's one place that you have not been yet that you want to go to as we come out of this COVID lockdown time period? Uh, Japan. 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 I really want to go to Japan. Yeah, I've never been. Uh, amazing food, uh, really interesting culture, so much history. Uh, 
some really, really cool people. Uh, when I've come across, I've worked with quite a few Japanese people through uh, my job before that's got such an interesting culture. Uh, they're always super nice, super respectful. Um, yeah, I, I would love to visit one day and that will be one of the places that hopefully I will get to when travel comes back. Yeah, I definitely, I, Hong Kong is like, I said Hong Kong, my bad. Tokyo is literally like one of the top on my list of like places I want to go see, like places I want to go visit. Because also, I'm an anime head, I'm a manga head, and so like, oh, wow. I would love need to get that. Yes, I need to go. This definitely will be one of those things. All right, so what's one of your favorite news? I just like to ask people where they get resources from. So what's one of your favorite newsletters or news outlets that you refer to on a good bit? Uh, uh, Matt Levine from Bloomberg has an absolutely fantastic newsletter uh, for people who like to geek out about finance, especially corporate finance, and uh, enjoy kind of uh, sarcastic, witty humor uh, kind of wrapped in with all that. Uh, Matt Levine, he's a writer for Bloomberg, ex-Goldman Sachs guy, really, really knows his stuff uh, and breaks down quite complex topics in a way that's actually quite uh, funny a lot of the time if you have a weird sense of humor like me so hey. that's a great uh, thing morning brew adverts everywhere on youtube for them. <laughs> everybody's getting uh, giving them a shout out and getting sponsored by them but i think they, they have a great daily email newsletter as well for somebody who wants like a quick download of what's going on in the markets mm -hmm. and what the major news items are yeah i mean I, I i my brother told me about morning brew in 2018 and i've just been on it since like they, they are actually i'll say that's one of the reasons that i really got into like the whole finance thing i was like this is interesting and they put it in such good ways and i was just like i got stuck and that's just led me on this whole thing you know being a finance nerd now and all sort of stuff but it's cool amazing it's, it's cool. super digestible right mm -hmm. it's super digestible it's very easy to read it gives you kind of the bullets you don't have to scan through loads of different places yep. but i think just coming back to what we were saying earlier about being busy i went through a period where I was, you know every semi-interesting newsletter newsletter i was like yep sign me up yep sign me up every day i was getting probably 20 different newsletters and you know the stress that builds up when you have that little red number oh that mail, bothers icon, me and you're so like, oh, much basically like i'm ocd about it so like it starts building up right but all these newsletters coming in quicker than i can read them i'm like you know trying to read them on doing other things and everything so i had to cut cut them down man because yeah i get a lot of it through my job anyway mm -hmm. right so i have bloomberg i, I read a, a lot of stuff through there during the day research reports blah 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 so i get a lot of it through there anyway but um i would say not that many people need to know every single day what's going on in the market, yeah. even if it's just the bullet points. So I think it's very easy to fall into the trap of feeling like that's really productive, yeah. where it is actually just more something that people like to use in conversations so that they uh, appear well-read in social situations. So um, I fell into that trap before as well. So it's a very human thing to do, I think. Um, and, and, you know, you sound very informed, but then a lot of the time you say, does reading it every single day actually help me make better investing decisions when every other person is reading the exact same thing? And that is all <laughs> known public information. It, it's interesting it's fun but I, I just be wary of falling into the trap because i've fell into that hole before it took me a while to climb out of it yeah i'll say that i'm probably there because it's like everything is exciting for me right now it's like ooh, 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 
And it's like, it's getting to the point where it's just kind of like, all right, we need to probably start because it's like, it was like, yeah, I don't, I don't watch TikTok or I don't watch all this stuff, but it's like, but you like sign up for every single thing. You're reading every single thing. Is that really that necessary? So it's like, all right, it's time to like start cleaning out again and maybe not sign up for every single thing or just at least for the ones that you enjoy, just pick those and then read those and everything else is like, all right, cool. I don't need to yeah. catch up on every single thing for sure. Yeah. yeah. But it can be, you can feel like uh, compelled to do it because mm-hmm. of, of the little icon. But I mean, honestly, man, we're just nitpicking here. Like yeah. reading morning brew is the biggest waste of time in your day. Then you must have a hell of a productive day to be honest, because that's pretty <laughs> damn good. <laughs> that's facts. So just to close it out with one quote that says everything that you think about with whether it's with work finance one thing that has been like because everybody usually has something that they like use as their reference points for how you think about the world or finance or whatever it is don't be a sheep that Mm -hmm. that is not a quote but that's the one thing that i think everybody uh, should try and remember is just to be yourself um and that comes to pursuing your goals choosing what line of work to be in choosing how to live your life uh, and all of these little decisions you make i think one massive skill that isn't really taught in school is the ability to think independently Uh, and i think that has contributed significantly to um, my journey so far and i hope it continues to do so Um, at every stage i've tried to sit back and genuinely think what do i want to do rather than kind of what other people pushing me towards um and i think that's especially important if you come from uh humble beginnings immigrant families for example where the people around you probably aren't doing the things that would make you end up in the place you want to go to so being able to just think independently and not follow the crowd uh, i think is a really important skill that people should uh should stay super focused on yeah yeah well Thank you so much for joining. I know I kept you for a long time. This was a lot of fun. I, I just, I was like, man, we're just going to keep going. Cause if I don't end this, we're just gonna keep, I know we're just going to keep going. So this is, this has been so much fun. This has been so enjoyable for me. And I hope everybody out there enjoyed it as well. Again, guys, please go check him out. Check out his YouTube page. I learned a lot from his YouTube page. You're going to watch it. You're going to laugh and you're going to learn, which is the two best ways to like gather information in my opinion. So definitely go check him out. I'm going to have a link to, uh, to his YouTube page, to his Instagram in the show notes, and also in the, in, in the description, if you're watching this on YouTube, but remember guys, remember generosity is always greater than greed. God bless each and every single one of y'all. And we are out of here. I'll catch y'all all later. Peace. <laughs>